Hi, I'm Brittany Hoffman. And I'm Madeline Phipps. Welcome to Shifting Ears. This is the Valley Metro internal podcast talking all things transit, transportation, and everything you need to know about the agency behind the scenes and some upfront stuff you may not know about. Maddie. Brittany. You know I've been working on a big, big project for the past year, and I'm so excited it's finally done. I say me, me and many other people at the agency, but it's finally complete. The quality of life. You worked with so many different people across the agency on this project. I think it was probably touched by almost every department in Valley Metro, right? Through the research and planning, we had to go through several, several departments to get everything verified and checked. And we went to many organizations in the Valley, getting and collecting data from them to come up with this comprehensive snapshot of a view of the Valley and where we're going in the future. So I'm really excited for this to finally be complete and for everyone to get to see and find out how Valley Metro is doing so much. So for those of you who are listening that had a hand in conducting this study, props to you, applause, consider this an extra pat on the back. And for those of you who don't know what it is we're talking about, buckle your seatbelts, you're in for a wild ride, learning all about how bus, light rail, paratransit, and other TDM options improve the quality of life for our Valley residents. My name is Peter Valenzuela. I'm a transportation planner here at Valley Metro. I work on the capital development projects and I have been with the agency for five years. My name is Marty Zeke. I'm a planner three here at Valley Metro in the capital development division. I have been with the agency just about five years and I work on projects ranging from annual fact sheets and reports all the way up to alternatives analyses and large capital studies. Well, today we are talking about the quality of life study, which is a really big project, a really big undertaking that both of you have been involved in. So could you each tell us a little bit about what the quality of life study is and how you are involved in it? So to me, the quality of life study is an opportunity for us to talk about our performance, to highlight our efforts, but also note the changes in the region that have created opportunities for improvement and for growth and service that we currently provide. And it also highlights why we need to continue to support from the region to make those improvements. So it's an opportunity to kind of show the Valley what we've done, where we've come from, and where we would like to be. Absolutely, Peter. And just to add on that, it's something, too, that we as an agency felt is an important thing, both for our riders and people that actively use the system to show here's what we're doing and here's all of the benefits that we're providing but also for those in the Valley that don't use our system to show them that even though they're not active transit riders, Valley Metro still provides them benefits. It really does benefit everybody regardless or not if they're riding a bus or a train every day. Like Peter said, we're taking a snapshot of what the agency in the region looks like now, and then we're taking it one step further every few years, analyzing those goals or ideas that we've set into motion, what do we want to improve upon? Have we accomplished that? Is there more growth for us to do as the Valley continues to grow? So I think this is a great opportunity for our agency to look at what we've accomplished, but also really set those goals and projections for the future that we want to continue to provide transit and transit options in the Valley. Peter, Marty, we've gotten really close working on this project together, and I know that this is the second iteration. Can you take us back to Quality of Life 1.0 and tell us how we're expanding and growing upon the initial release of the Quality of Life report we did? 
So the quality of life that we did about four years ago uh, came out in 2018. It kind of came from the same origins of why we're doing the new study. We wanted to look at what we had done in the region after bringing high-capacity transit service to the region, what kind of benefits were happening, what kind of things were happening around the corridor, kind of highlight some of the highlights and also discuss some of the lowlights and just really bring attention to the project overall. And what happened was our 10-year anniversary started to come up right around the time we were looking to release this quality of life report. So we kind of pivoted a little bit and we started to say, okay, how about we just talk about light rail? Let's talk about 10 years of light rail, where we were 10 years before and here we are 10 years after. For the new study that we're doing, we wanted to follow up on that, but expand it to include our transit network system and really take a deeper dive into the region as a whole and what kind of what's happening in the region and how transit is affecting that. The first quality of life was really an effort to showcase light rail. It was new to the valley. It was new to this region. It's something that people who had lived here for a long time likely had never seen unless, you know, they'd traveled to another city to experience such a thing. And so it was really, here's something that was a transformational once in a generation investment that came into Phoenix. We're the agency that built it. We're the agency that operates it. And so as we came upon 10 years, we really wanted to show, here's all of the benefits that this has provided. And here's how downtown Phoenix has grown, Tempe, Mesa, all throughout the corridor. It really is a dramatic shift. And so as Peter had said, this next iteration, what we're calling the quality of life 2.0, and as Brittany had said, which is going to be something that is updated every three to five years, because we're not looking necessarily at one of these large milestones, like a 10-year anniversary of light rail coming into the valley, we really did want to bring it to everybody that lives here, regardless if they're living right next to a high-capacity transit route or if they're in some of our further out suburbs, just to show that we are beneficial to the entire region. I wanted to go through the study and talk about a few of the key points I thought were really interesting. And one of them has to do with the evolving travel patterns and how job creation and job growth plays a role in where people are making their trips, transit or not. So could you talk a little bit about how you collected the data that leads us to determine what those travel patterns are now? The simplified way of explaining it was just kind of looking at where jobs grew over the last, I think we even went back maybe 10 years just to see where jobs were growing in general. And that's measuring employers and employees and seeing where those people are working. It was interesting what we find. You know, sometimes when you do these studies, you have a thought in mind of, okay, I know where the jobs are, so that'll be easy. And then once you start doing the research, you find you're surprised. Like surprise, Arizona was something that came up. We noticed there's a large job growth there. And we noticed that the service doesn't quite match what we have in job growth there. People work in Surprise, it means they need to get to Surprise somehow. So how can we better serve those people? And that's something that we took on. That's just a small tidbit from that study. But really, it's just looking at where jobs are and the highest job growth. And by job growth, I mean number of jobs that have grown. Because we would look at things like Phoenix is a large area. And Phoenix has a large urban core and a large employment core. Now, overall, Phoenix has the higher number of jobs, but what we were trying to measure is where are those other job markets and other transit markets that maybe we're not hitting? Because we're definitely hitting Phoenix pretty good, so we want to look out a little bit further on the edge. 
Marty, since you work a little bit more in the service planning area, how much does data from this quality of life study now inform how we plan where transit is going to go? Is that part of the planning process at all? So this report is really looking at our performance and how we've adapted to past events, meaning that in areas where we see a lot of growth, certainly there have been conversations with member cities about how to address that and if different types of transit would be appropriate or maybe looking more towards what we call TDM strategies. So that's sharetheride.com, vanpool, carpool, those types of efforts to just reduce people's dependency on single occupancy vehicles. And we certainly can serve a lot of different communities, but there's that age-old question. We have a limited funding stream, and do we focus on providing frequency of service in busy corridors so people are not waiting a long time for vehicles, or do we expand the area that we provide service in, which means that we're not going to be able to run as many buses on any given route at any given time? but we can serve more people that way with just less frequent service. So there's kind of those different pieces that go into it, as well as just our geographies are massive. One of the places that we saw the largest amount of job growth in terms of percentage, and and again, this gets into that nuance, Gila Bend, actually. We do provide transit service to Gila Bend through the 685 rural route. And Gila Bend is one of the top five in terms of percentage job growth. Of course, there is not that large of an employment base in Gila Bend to begin with. So the Mm -hmm. actual numbers is quite a bit less than you would see in terms of jobs gained in a Tempe or a Phoenix. But we did look towards Gila Bend and just seeing how the service that we do provide out there is able to help them grow their economy and provide just different options for residents there as well as people that are looking to get in and out of that community. What is the one thing you want people to take away from the quality of life? Our region is growing and communities have changing travel needs. The region put its faith in us 20 years ago with the approval of Prop 400 to create a high capacity transit network with long-term impacts that go beyond mobility alone. You know, the people want transportation dollars to generate jobs and housing and business opportunities and to be connected throughout the region. So to make sure that we're continually making good on that investment and to recognize the ever-changing needs of our community. We're looking at all the factors uh, that affect the region and transit through the lens of the quality of life study. So that would be my hope is that we're able to capture just a piece of that, but it is a very nuanced and varied region and transit has its part, but there are many parts to any region. So if we can shine a little light on what transportation does and what it could do better, that would be my main goal. In terms of my main takeaway from just completing this study especially, but even you know going back to that initial study that really focused on rail in this region, it was something when I first moved to Phoenix, you know, flying in, you see when the city starts and you see all the gleaming pools and you see all of the residential streets kind of winding around everywhere. And I was thinking to myself, how on earth do we provide transit to this? It just doesn't seem like the type of place that would be necessarily conducive to transit service. But what the quality of life report shows is that we actually have quite a bit of ridership. Our rail system competes against other light rail systems in the U.S. in cities that have a lot more density than we do. People choose to utilize our system. And I know this being a planner, working for the agency, and looking through all of the data day to day. But something that I really wanted to make sure became known through this report is that 
it can be publicly accessible knowledge that we really do provide a service that's not just for people that live on the exact alignment of the light rail system. There are many, many different services we provide. We outline a lot of these in the report. And by the time someone reads through all of this, especially looking at some of the more interesting data points and one that pops into my mind in particular is we actually just compare, here's what it costs to drive around versus here's what it costs to use our system. And I think that that combined with a lot of the other aspects that we show in this report makes a pretty clear case to anybody reading through it that yes, they might live you know, on one of those residential streets that doesn't have a bus running right along it, but our system provides ample opportunities for people to access where we do operate fixed route service. And we also provide multiple different ways to get people around that don't include just our core light rail and bus network. So if we can really show to the public that we're benefiting them and that we do have the ability to provide this reliable and convenient service to a lot more people that are currently using it, then that would be a great takeaway. Looking through this report, we have a lot of really impressive statistics and data points. So I was just wondering if there's one big talking point or number or thing that really surprised you when you were putting together the study. I think a misnomer with a lot of people with our construction projects, the assumption is if you're building light rail, you're building light rail. And that's what it is. It's a transit investment done. In reality, a large portion of our budget that goes into any rail construction project in this region is not actually related to the provision of transit service directly. It's everything else around it. As an example, at the time of this speaking with the projects that we currently have underway, $1.2 billion have been spent on improving non-transit infrastructure. So what I mean by that, we look at utilities along South Central as an example, where we're putting in the South Central extension downtown hub. That road has quite a bit of very, very old utilities, including lead water pipes and just other infrastructure that isn't really feasible now that we're you know, midway into the 21st century. And so as a part of this project, Valley Metro and the costs that we put together for our project also included upgrading all of this infrastructure. It also includes upgrading pedestrian experience, so putting in trees, shade type structures, new crosswalks, pavement upgrades, new roads, no more potholes, protection for pedestrians as well as for cars. And I think one piece also that really needs to get mentioned more, and to me is a really great draw to our system, is public art. Every single one of our rail stations, as well as infrastructure along the alignment, contains public art. And we have a really robust program that puts forth a lot of unique projects that bring to the Valley something that is just fun and whimsical and really just helps create and cement that sense of place at each one of our stations. So what I'm hearing you say, Marty, is you don't have to be a transit rider to be able to get all the benefits from transit, right? You are absolutely right, Brittany. You do not have to be a transit rider to gain all of the benefits. However, we would hope that if you were to go along the system and see some of our art, see some of the benefits that have been provided, that maybe you'd consider going into a park and ride and taking the train downtown or taking the train wherever you want or a bus or whatever it may be just to experience the system. 
Thank you, Marty. That is a great answer, a great thing to highlight in the study. So Peter, what about you? Is there a number or a data point or statistic that really surprised you when you were putting this work together? Everything Marty said, I completely agree with. I think as I was doing the research and kind of gathering this all together, the larger picture started to really come together for me in that the population here is just growing so fast. It's just so many people coming here. Anybody who lives here knows that when they see the housing market or or any other indicator of a large population growth. And for me, as a transportation planner, it puts me a little bit uneasy to know that all these people have to get around our big city as we sprawl further outwards. And transportation investments are just that much more important. I feel like what we were able to do with the funding available to us 20 years ago got us to a certain level. And where we are today and where we're going to continue to go, it's just going to require more support from the community. There are going to be larger populations or portions of the population that need transit as we continue to grow. There's less highway investment moving forward in the future than there will be anything else. So I don't like being in traffic. I don't think anyone else enjoys being in traffic. And that's just a, a large indicator to me that something else needs to be done. Something else needs to be implemented, and there are other options like transit, and maybe people need to kind of pay attention to that a little bit more. When this project came about, the quality of life study, I knew that my role as communications was going to be kind of presenting the data or those key takeaways that we wanted people to know about the agency, how we are growing as an agency, how we're performing, But it really takes a team of research to do a lot of work before I come in and kind of fine tune some findings. So Peter, Marty, can you walk us through the process of what it takes to get from the beginning, step one, to what will eventually be our launched website for quality of life study? Absolutely, Brittany. So it really is a team effort and it's something that We honestly started talking about this not long after the first quality of life iteration came out. We knew we wanted this to be something that the agency could build upon and expand out to the entire network, as well as make it something that we could track going forward. So there was that initial push right from that get-go to capitalize upon the success of the initial study and really just use that as kind of the start-off point. So we actually took all of the initial data points that we collected for that study and workshopped them with planners, with people from all different departments and divisions to try and just understand, is this the direction we want to go or do we want to change the narrative and focus on different aspects of the system. And Peter, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I would say we did kind of a a great job of doing about half of each. We kept quite a few of the data points that we found to be very powerful, and we also developed and workshopped quite a bit of new information that went into this next iteration. The only thing I'd say on this is that this was a multi-year effort in terms of organizing everything to put together the format and doing all the research that really dozens of staff participated in. And we owe them a lot and are very thankful for all of their hard work and dedication on this effort. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And, you know, I think, and not even just internally, we worked with outside entities like the Maricopa Association of Governments. We worked with entities like 
ADOT to gather data. As Marty said, we didn't rest very much after we got done with the last quality of life report because we knew how much effort that took, that the new study would require as much effort and even more so because we were going to expand our scope. We're going to be looking at the region now. We're going to be looking at our whole transit network, not just light rail. So we really wanted to take the essence of the last effort and you can kind of modify it and expand it. And so with that expansion, if every four years, if you're going to do this, this one will be coming out about four years from the last one. It takes time. Four years seems like a long time, but it's actually not. Especially when you're going from, if you're going from study effort to study effort to study effort, you're picking up right where you left off and moving the ball forward and maybe even improving it a little bit. So you have a kind of a small amount of time to come up with all the research. And then we knew because of the last effort going down the road that there's communications involved and marketing involved. And now we have some IT stuff going on involved with the new study that, that all that part, all those parts take time to release too. So yeah, we didn't rest very much from the last one, but we, it was still fresh in our minds. So it was nice. Well, so as I'm looking at this website, number one, it's a website it also has beautiful illustrations and graphics accompanying all of the facts. I'm guessing that you two, Peter and Marty, did not put that all together yourselves. So <laughs> will you talk a little bit about all the different people who are involved in this project and kind of the work that it took to collaborate between the different teams? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that really does take a huge effort from people all throughout the agency to put together. We are extremely grateful for all of the effort that people have put in throughout this process. It was something where just even agreeing upon what data points go into the quality of life is a big deal because we want to make sure that we're telling an accurate story to the public as to what our impact is. We are doing a lot of great things, but we also have room for improvement. So we want to make sure that we capture both sides of that coin to put forth, you know, a picture that shows that we're absolutely an essential service that runs in the region and that we also have room for growth. So I think that's one big thing. And to make that something that we can have available to the public for people to actually understand what we're talking about, because Peter, I'm sure you'd agree with me, we do tend to think a lot in what we call planner speak, uh, which includes a lot of jargon. So we were able to come together and put together some of these data points. And then we certainly needed help from our communications team to just really make that narrative stick and make it something where someone that is riding a bus and clicks on the website can look through and say, wow, I understand their impact. And then our marketing team did a great job putting together really beautiful graphics showing all of the different aspects of how our system interacts. And what I love about the way the graphics look for this study are that they're very much focused on the Phoenix metro region. So we have call-outs to different landmarks and just fun aspects there to make it where it's not just some stock study that's looking at a city in general, but it's really looking at Metro Phoenix. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, our IT team has put a lot of effort into making this a study that's available to people regardless of how they're accessing it, be it on their computer or be it on mobile devices and using some innovative techniques such as sliders so you can show before and after for when something happens. Uh, we have a few maps that are like that and even some fun interactive type graphics. I totally agree. Somebody had to take our planner nerd language and turn it into something that people could understand. Thank you, communications. Marketing had to take that and then turn it into something pleasant to look at. 
And then IT took it to the next level and made it very high tech and interactive. It's going to be one of the most robust things the agency's ever put out, in my opinion, looking back. And that took a lot of work from a lot of different departments. So definitely kudos to everybody who had a hand in this project. One thing that we did want to do was take what we had done before and kind of blow it up, make it bigger and, and better in every way possible. And so that required a true agency effort. And also thanks Maddie and everybody who works on the podcast for also getting this out too. It's all part of the big pie that gets made. So, you know, I think once it comes out, it's going to be really cool. So I'm excited for everybody to see it. As many of us know, Peter Valenzuela is no longer with the agency, but we thank him for his contributions to the quality of life study and wish him well in the future. At the agency, we are obviously very excited about quality of life and so excited to share with you and the rest of the Valley. And also for all of us who work for Valley Metro, just another way to remember how much of an impact we're having on all the residents, visitors, employees, you name it, of Maricopa County and, you know, feeling a sense of pride in the work that we do every day. Definitely, Maddie. One of the other things I love about my work is giving out prizes. You don't say. (laughs) I do say, because this episode's question is, what is the difference between the original quality of life report and our current quality of life study? If you know the answer, send an email to podcast at valleymetro.org. And if you're the first person to get the question right, you will win a gift card. Don't forget, you can always email us at podcast at valleymetro.org too if you have suggestions or ideas for podcast episodes. I think that's it for today. For Valley Metro, I'm Madeline. I'm Brittany. Thanks for riding with us. We'll meet you at the next stop. Shifting Ears is produced by Peter Corkery and Alex Sotsos. Taylor Dunn is the executive producer. I'm Madeline Phipps with Brittany Hoffman. Thanks for listening.